As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see. Welcome to Home Group. This is Thursday. And tonight, we're going to continue answering your questions, and it's going to be a great time. The we on our side of the world is me and Denise and Paul Renner and Joel Renner. Hi, guys. Hey, hey Rick. So good to be with you guys. It is so good and a privilege to get to be together. And, and we've been having fun before we even got started tonight. Well, oh, that's yes. right. And to be with our home group. That's that right. is the greatest privilege to get to be with you. Hey, Paul. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the home group. We are glad that we can be with you tonight. Thank you for joining. And if you have not subscribed, please subscribe. If you have not liked, please like the channel. And it'd be great if you visited renner.org because there's a lot more available for you there. I have a question. Why do they need to like it? Because if you like it, then other algorithms will start working that start recommending other people to watch what you like because you have a lot of friends that have similar interests. So whatever you subscribe to, people with similar interests will get recommended. Whatever you like, people with similar interests will get recommended does that on mean, social networks. Does that mean it's going to be recommended without them even calling and saying, watch this? Yes, it will happen automatically, and that will really help us, because the more people like a certain video, the more popular it gets, and so on. So please do that. But we're not trying to be popular. We're just trying to help people. That's right. That's, that's really our goal. Hey, Joel. Hey, Dad. The revival of the Bible is what we're believing for. Amen. We really are. We want a revival of the Bible in people's lives. Yes, we do. And what Paul was saying, it will help us do that. We want people to have a revival of the Bible in their lives. And if you could help us share that, that same vision, I think it would be wonderful. You know, like Paul was saying, he's talking about being popular. Well, that's talking about numbers. But they're not just numbers. They're people people with needs, people with questions. And that's, that's what we want to do is we want to reach people. Amen, Denise. Well, this week in the regular TV program, I'm teaching a series called The Coming of the Antichrist. I had such a good time teaching that series. It just went like that. And it's 10 programs. It is so loaded. It's going to answer questions you've had about the end times, about the rapture. I do two whole programs on the rapture. I think you'll be stunned when you hear what the Bible really says about the rapture. You guys in the rapture, we're going to all get the ultimate facelift. We're going to become incorruptible. It describes something that no longer shows the effects of wear, tear, and age. Our new resurrection bodies are going to be amazing. Anyway, all of it's in the series, and it comes with a download. The download's called The Coming of the Antichrist. It's a study guide. It's free. So if you go to renner.org, you can download it right now. And we have the whole series. I think you ought to get the whole thing. The series is called The Coming of the Antichrist. It's 10 parts, and it comes in multiple formats. And also on the TV program right now, we're offering my new book that I'm so excited to finally have a copy of called Last Day's Survival Guide, a scriptural handbook to prepare you for these perilous times. And I want to ask you again, if you've already gotten yours, would you please go to Amazon and write a review? It encourages other people that are trying to decide what they need to read. Hey, do you know I've been reading all the reviews? They are just blessing my heart. And I believe that this book will be a blessing to you if you have not already ordered your copy. But today we're going to keep answering your questions. But first, we have show and tell. 
And what are we going to show you today? Well, here we go. Here on the table by me and Denise are treasures, treasures, really treasures. There are five items. Let's begin with this one because it is the oldest. It looks like a small yes. amphora. That is a small amphora. It was designed to hold oil. olive oil. Olive oil. How old do you guys think this is? 30 years old. No, Joel. <laughs> Nothing in this room is just 30 years old. Oh, if, yes. If, Joel, if you're the that's only one true. that guesses, you're still the one that's the closest. All right, uh, Paul, how old do you think? 4,000 years old. Well, you're about right. This is Abrahamic. Wow. This dates to the time of Abraham, and it is from the land of Israel. And look at this condition. Is that just remarkable? It was probably painted in the past. Uh, no, this was not painted. This no. was never painted. But this was dug up in Israel in an archaeological dig. And by the way, I got all of these things years and years and years and years ago when they were very inexpensive. Today they are quite expensive. But this is really authentic. Okay, that's number one. You ready? Denise, would you hold well, that? What's it made out of? It's made out of clay. That's why I saw it. Yeah, that really dates to the time of Abraham. Okay, let's go to number two. Here we go. Are you ready? Touch it. Look at this, guys. Okay. This is what? Uh, uh, also looks like it's for oil. Maybe well, it could be for oil, could be just for any kind of liquid, but this is Greek. And you can tell because of the crustaceans on it, this was probably from an underwater archaeological dig, maybe in the sea. But this is really Greek. Saltwater, probably. And this is about, how old do you think this is? 1,500 years old. Nope. No, if, if it's Greek, it's about 2,500 years old. About 2,500 years old. I was just off a little bit. This was probably date about to the time of Alexander the Great. And this is authentic. It is real. All right, next. You thought this was a coffee cup. It is not. This also is Greek. Look at that. Is that amazing? Even has the number on it from the shop where I acquired it nearly 20 years ago. And look at the bottom of it. It is in immaculate condition. In fact, it is so good. Really, it is a museum quality work. It looks so contemporary. Is that amazing? Yes. <laughs> you know, you think that the ancient peoples were primitive. They were very much like and you us. You think the coffee cup's a new invention. It's not at all. Well, this was not for coffee. Well, obviously, but it looks just like a coffee cup. Now, exactly. how old do you think this is? 3,000 years old. It's about the same period as that vase. It dates about to the time of Alexander the Great. Okay, are you ready for the next one? Here we go. Next we have a bowl. This bowl is not restored. <laughs> this is really the way they excavated it. Look at the condition of this. It has the mark from the archaeologist on the bottom. It is in immaculate condition. And I got it about the same time, about 15, 20 years ago. And it dates to the time of Alexander the Great. These are very rare to find unbroken with no repairs. These really are treasures. It's really cool. And you know where we keep them? We keep them right over there. In the other half of the studio. Just on the shelf. Yes. You can just walk in here and they're just sitting on the shelf. But the, I have these things, first of all, because when I purchased them so many years ago, they didn't cost very much. Today, they are worth a lot of money. But they date to the time of Alexander the Great, who, of course, brought the Greek language to the whole Hellenistic world. That's why the New Testament is written in Greek. 
vase from the time of Abraham because it reminds me of Abraham. Abraham was not a fictitious imaginary character. He was real. Anyway, these are some of the things that are on our TV set. Wonderful. Is that interesting? Very interesting. I don't think you would find these if you just walked into a regular pastor's office. I mean, these, these are actually pretty rare things to own. And I'm so grateful that God allowed me to get them at the time that we got them. We have all kinds of treasures in this TV studio. And we hold our treasures in earthen vessels. Oh, can I say something about that? Yes. Because this is that word. Okay. This is ostrakinos. Yes. The word that is used there is ostrakinos. Mm -hmm. And ostrakinos was Greek pottery, which was pretty inexpensive. When this was made, 23, 2,500 years ago, it was very inexpensive. And the reason it was called ostrakinus is because if you broke it, it was easily replaceable. Mm -hmm. And usually it was highly decorated because very often ostrakinus had flaws. And when the Apostle Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, this is what he has in mind. It's the word ostrakinus, which is the equivalent to saying, isn't it amazing that God would put his greatest treasure, the Holy Spirit, inside ostrakinus, clay vessels that are so breakable and if needed, easily replaceable. Hmm. And in fact, we're so aware of our flaws. We cover it with cosmetics. We try to make ourselves look better in clothing. We do everything we can to cover up our flaws. But God chose to put his treasure, and the word treasure is the word thesaurus. Ay, ay, ay. That word thesaurus describes an inexhaustible resource, something that can never be fully investigated. It is so immense. God's unspeakable, inexhaustible treasure in flawed vessels that we cover up with cosmetics and try to fix with makeup and clothes. And God put his greatest treasure in us, ostrichinos. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing? And I think it's in 1 Timothy where Paul says that depending on whatever we do, our vessel could be used for things of great use or things of very basic use. That's exactly right. And so a lot depends on how we act upon the Word of God. You're doing a great job, Pastor Paul. Well, thank you. See, these little items, they have great meaning to us. They really do. And when we come back tomorrow night... We're going to show you the next part of our show and tell. It's going to be fun. But Joel, tell me our first questions. Okay. How much was the box of ointment worth that was poured out on Jesus' feet? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And when you come to John chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, and he raised from the dead. Paul, were you with me recently when I went to Lazarus' tomb? I wasn't, but your trip really did spark something, and I investigated the tomb. That is an amazing place. Hey, guys, I want to tell you something. Home group, listen. I've been all over Israel. For some reason, I've never been to Lazarus' tomb. Well, I know why. It's in Palestinian yes, territory. It's in the Palestinian territory. And everybody's afraid to go there. Well, I'm not afraid. So we went to Palestinian territory. When I saw Lazarus' tomb, it blew me away. And it was very well documented that that was the tomb. Oh, it, 100%. And in fact, 
right next door is where this house was. Mm -hmm. He was buried right next door to their house. There's okay. a church built there. Well, before you explain about what the tomb looks like, what do you think the tomb looks like? Yeah. Probably you're imagining something like the garden tomb that many people have visited in Jerusalem. They, they call it the Protestant's garden tomb. Which is not a, it's, it's not the tomb where Jesus was buried. It's but not Protestants like it because they don't like the Orthodox one. Yes, and you can have communion there in this beautiful park. But it's you, beautiful. You actually see a hole in a rock wall, and it's very easy to imagine that this is what a tomb in the day that Jesus was uh, buried would have looked like. It's very easy to, to envision a, that. It's in a garden. Well, when you see the garden tomb, that's... I mean, in my mind, that was probably the kind of tomb that Lazarus was in. And I imagined that Jesus was all the way across on the other side of the garden yelling, Lazarus, come forth. When I saw Lazarus' tomb, it just rocked me because it totally changed the picture. Jesus was not standing across the courtyard yelling over at the tomb. He was standing at the top of the tomb yelling down. Because Lazarus was buried in the bottom of that tomb. This is what just stunned me. You have to walk down stairs after stairs after stairs after stairs to get to the bottom of that tomb. And when they said remove the stone, it wasn't a stone that you would roll away. It was a stone, a flat stone that you could have stood on. It was something that was, it would have covered the floor. It was just massive and deep. And when the Bible says that Lazarus came out bound hand and foot, well, you know what? I'm not bound hand and foot, and it's pretty aggressive going down those steps and going up those steps, and I'm just imagining Lazarus bound with strips, hopping <laughs> up all those steps to come hopping out. or crawling. Or crawling. It just changed the whole picture to me. And Jesus literally had to yell because Lazarus was all the way down in the bottom of that tomb. And here he came hopping up those steps, or Paul might be right, he might have crawled up those steps. And when he finally came out, Jesus said, set him free, loose him and let him go. It is amazing. And right next door to Lazarus' tombs are still the frescoes on the floor where the first church was built on the very site of the house where this event took place. Okay. So let's look at it. Okay, just a little insight about Lazarus tomb. All right, let's look at verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Verse 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Well, first of all, it says ointment of spikenard, very costly. Well, just like today, you can have knockoff purses and knockoff belts, fakes. There was fake spikenard. This was not fake. This was authentic. It was very costly. What did it cost? It cost about one year's salary. Now, where did spikenard come from and what was spikenard? Spikenard was derived by pressing grasses. Certain grasses, just like in Latvia where you guys grew up, there was balsams. Mm -hmm. Balsams is something that you can drink for your health. It's made of all kinds of, 
a concoction of grasses. You just squeeze all the juices out of the grasses. That's what spikenard was. But real, authentic spikenard, where do you guys think it came from? Africa. India. India. Came all the way from India. Spikenard of the highest quality came from India. And they would push all those juices out of the grasses. It would liquefy, it would, it would harden, and it became spikenard. Wouldn't totally hard, but it would become very thick. And the Bible tells us in another gospel that it was in an alabaster box. Well, that's also important because alabaster was very expensive. And guess what I brought? This is alabaster. Okay, guys, where's this from? That's from Egypt. This is from Egypt. Do you remember where we got this in Egypt? The Valley of the Kings. The Valley of the Kings. Where at the Valley of the Kings? Uh, actually, I don't remember where at the Valley of the Kings. This was purchased in a shop. At the Valley of the Kings. At the Valley of the Kings. And the shop is built on top of an ancient tomb. Yes. If you go back to the back of the shop, you can go down into the ancient tomb. This is... The Valley of the Kings is the place where the pharaohs were buried. Which is right across the Nile River from Luxor and Karnak. And at the Valley of the Kings, you can go to King Tut's tomb. It's very interesting. Well, you can go to Ramses' tomb. By the way, there were a lot of Ramses. There were a lot of Tut's. Tut Moses, a whole bunch of them. They're all buried there. Anyway, this is alabaster. And it's, in the first century, it was very, very expensive. So it's stone. And you can actually see uh, the people in Egypt today actually cut out vases from this stone. This is a solid piece. Think of how much work it would take to do that. I mean, this is not a symbol. This is cut from a solid piece of alabaster. Paul, just for fun, would you show our home group what happens if you put light in this? Okay, this is how they actually sell them when you go to the store. First of all, you can see them making them outside. It's kind of cool. But then when you walk in the shop, they take a flashlight, and they put a flashlight inside, and they turn on the flashlight, and they start to show you how beautiful it is when you put light inside of it because it's it's kind of translucent it's a little bit transparent so this is this is the show you get when you go to the shop in Egypt now it's an absolutely useless show because you can't actually put a light in it because it will melt, it will melt. <laughs> <laughs> but it is fantastic it makes you, it really does make you want to buy one <laughs> anyway that's what spikenard was it was derived from pressing these grasses in India it would thicken the juice. Then they would put it in a vase. wasn't a box. It was probably something like that, actually smaller. Probably had a, a lid on it. It was a pound. Mm -hmm. And it would have been about an annual income of salary. Wow. And so when Mary poured this on Jesus' feet, it was a huge, huge deal. And let's look what happened next. Since you asked the question, let's continue. Verse 4, Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should, notice it says, should betray him, so the betrayal has not happened yet. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put there and he was in charge of the money. Then Jesus said, let her alone against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. And then Jesus added, this is very important. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Now, 
What do you think stuck out in Judas' mind the most from what Jesus said? You'll have the poor with you always, but not me. That's what he heard. He didn't hear the first part. The first part was, she's anointing me for my burial. All he heard was, hey, you're always going to have poor people, mm -hmm. but you won't always hear me. And in that moment, Judas became offended. And that is when the seed of betrayal was sown into his heart. How do we know that? Go to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, the Bible tells us in verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Having put into does not refer to that moment. It refers to something that's previously happened. And having put into is a translation of the word balo, which means to inject something very quickly, like to stab somebody or to insert a thought. It's the very word you would use to describe putting the saber into its sheath or hurling a ball or a rock very quickly. And it tells us that at some moment, Judas Iscariot's heart opened and the devil quickly seized the moment to inject a seed of betrayal into his heart. And it happened at the household of Mary and Martha and Lazarus when a beautiful event was taking place. And Jesus says, she's anointing me for my burial. What a holy thing Jesus was sharing with him. A wonderful thing was happening. Let me finish first. Uh -huh. But all he heard was, you always have poor people. You don't always hear me. Be careful what you hear. Be careful that you don't just hear half statements. Because if you just hear half a statement, you might get offended. And when you get offended, that's when the devil messes you up. And offended people hurt people. And that's what happened with Judas Iscariot. Okay. Wonderful things can happen. And some people can be blessed by it. Some people can receive a blessing in that moment. And at the same time, someone else can be offended. So it's not the action. It's not the thing happening that actually determines what you receive. It's your attitude that determines what you receive. Just as Judas was offended in that moment, someone else was blessed in that moment. The same thing happens every single Sunday. At some moment, someone is blessed by something the preacher says, and at the exact same moment, someone is offended by the same thing the preacher said. The preacher said the same thing. It affected people differently, so so much depends on what's going on inside of our hearts. Depends on how you hear. Be careful. You know, Jesus said over and over, be careful how you hear. Mm-hmm. Be careful how you hear. Okay. I want to say something about what, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus said about Mary. And he said, let her alone. And that Jesus didn't hesitate to stand up and take, take up for Mary. And he, he saw how, he knew how much that cost. He knew what it took for her to sacrifice, for her to put her own desires aside and to pour, just to pour it out on him. And, and he sees when we sacrifice and maybe others criticize. But Jesus has a way of saying, you let her alone. He will defend us when we're sacrificing and giving and maybe we look different than other people. He sees your heart. 
He sees your sacrifice and he comes with his presence and with his anointing and with his opinion. And it was his opinion that counted right then. It wasn't, wasn't Judas's opinion that counted. It was Jesus' opinion that counted. And he stood up for her and defended her and said, you let her alone. And I believe that Jesus does that. Amen. Amen. I want to point out one more thing, <clears throat> that the offense was over money. Think how many people get offended about money. They see something, they assume something, they really don't know anything. But they get offended over assumptions. Well, why did they need to spend that? Well, you really don't know why they needed to spend that. You really don't know why. Maybe you don't need to know why. By the way, it's probably not your business or our business or anybody else's business. Don't make assumptions based on a lack of information. We don't need to know everything. We're not accountable for everything. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I gave money to my church and I, I, I just don't like the way they're handling the money. Well, you didn't give it to the church. You gave it to the Lord. You gave it to the Lord. Don't get offended over money. Now, if you know that you're giving regularly to a place where you're just absolutely sure things are not being used right or it's being squandered, then you just need to change where you're sowing your finances. But that doesn't mean that you lost your money or lost your seed. You gave it to the Lord. You gave it to the Lord. But one thing for sure, don't be offended. Don't let yourself be offended over money. That is how Judas Iscariot became a betrayer. It became betrayer because of offense about money. Now, you and me, all of us, we need to do everything we can to make sure we don't give people a reason to be offended. Of course. We need to handle money right. We need to do what we say, keep our word. The word offended is the word scandalon. It's the word scandal. Mm -hmm. And <coughs> an offense, a scandalon, it's something that causes somebody to trip or causes somebody to lose their footing, causes them to stumble. And we need to be careful that in the way that we live, we don't cause people to trip or to lose their footing in their spiritual life. We need to think about what we do and what we present to others. I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. One thing I, I, I find in this scripture is in verse 4, chapter 12, verse 4, Then said one of his disciples, Jesus Iscariot, Simon's son, which, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pieces and pence, given, pence. Pence, thank you, and given to the poor? It wasn't Judas's place to evaluate Mary's gift. Mm. It was not his place to do that. <clears throat> Jesus was blessed by it. And I think it's very important that we don't evaluate what other people give if we hear about it. You know, they didn't give enough. They didn't do enough. That's never a good conversation. And Judas got in big trouble with it. Well, actually, it's, it's how the devil entered into his life. But Judas had something wrong in his life to even ask the question. Oh, he did. There was a flaw in him from the very beginning. And in fact, there was such a flaw in Judas that there's no evidence in Scripture that Judas ever called Jesus Lord. There was something really wrong with Judas. He was obviously talented. And by the way, he is the only one Jesus ever called friend. Wow. Isn't that amazing? If you look at the whole Gospels, he just called one person friend. And the word friend that is used here is so familiar, it really means buddy. Hey, buddy. They were very close. They had to be because they talked about finances all the time. They were deciding who to feed, 
who to help. They had to talk all the time. But if you look at the four Gospels, he always called Jesus teacher. Teacher. He never received Jesus as the Lord never as the ultimate authority, received him as a good teacher, a good revelator, somebody who can benefit me. By the way, that's what's wrong with a lot of people's salvation these days. They don't come to Jesus as Lord. They come to Jesus just to see what kind of benefit they can get. And he has a lot of benefits to give. He does. But ultimately, we've got to call him Lord. All we handled was one question. But did we have fun? I think it was very good. Mm -hmm. Hey, if you need prayer, call us. 1-800-742-5593 or write us prayer at renner.org and we're going to be back tomorrow night. We're going to start with more show and tell and we'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.